0: So hello everyone, my name is Lee Nichols and I'd like to welcome you all to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column. We have a very special guest joining us today to discuss digital technologies and capital construction. It's Swarandeep Singh, who's the vice president at ABB Process Automation Energy Industries. Now, before we welcome in Mr. Singh, I would like to remind all the listeners of Hydrocarbon Processing's IRPC Operations Global Virtual Conference, we are now accepting abstracts. So IRPC operations is gonna focus on technologies, equipment and services that are optimizing plant operations and maintenance. So if you're interested in speaking at this global event, please visit hydrocarbonprocessing.com, select IRPC operations under the events tab to learn more about the event, you can register or you can submit an abstract. So we look forward to seeing you all there. So with that, I'd like to welcome in our very special guest. So Warren how are you doing today? Thank you, Lee.
1: I'm doing fine. It's a bit snowy outside, but other than that, uh, everything else is is uh, is fine and nice. How about you? Excellent.
0: So far, so good. It's hot here in Houston, so we got two different extremes on each end. So, uh, but but first off, I really want to thank you for joining us today, giving us a couple minutes uh, to be on on the Main Column podcast. Uh, I want to go ahead and jump right in because we got a lot to get to today. So. To start off with my first question is, uh, what are the main challenges around capital projects in the oil and gas and chemical refining industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, if, if you look at projects, uh, these are high risk, high reward endeavors, uh, which probably you know, enables um, profitable organic growth, and they are critical to this long-term success of uh, any company. And when you look at projects, they, they create value uh, when the benefits from the assets they create uh, are modified by the project exceeds the project cost. And normally, such value is measured uh, using NPV or net present value. And if you look around and it, with various uh, organizations that have analyzed multitude of projects like IPA, for example, They have found out that a typical project on an average delivers around 22% less NPV than what was forecasted when the project was funded. Now, this applies not only to large projects, but any type of project. So, you know, cost and schedule overruns are usually thought of as a main culprit of value erosion. And they do, you know, make a significant contribution to lower NPV. But you will be surprised uh, Lee, that the largest source of value region for these industrial projects has nothing to do on how the project was managed. So if I, if I, from my own experience, if I, you know, lay down uh, three categories in which this value erosion falls, uh, number one is that the demand for the product was lower than expected. Now you, you, you know, that, the oil and gas and chemicals and refining business is quite cyclic so it depends on when the project came on stream and how they have been able to sell the products the second of course is cost and schedule overruns and last but not the least the facility which was constructed using the project did not operate as expected so these are the kind of things which which we are trying to address when we come up with this Adaptive execution model uh, within ABB. So we are trying to address uh, these drivers of value erosion and how to improve uh, project value and project outcomes.
0: Excellent. And yeah, I, I want to get to to data execution here in just in just a little bit. Um, my next question, though, is of course with all that's gone on with this global pandemic, how has this global pandemic made some of those issues you talked about more complicated?
1: Uh, This is an interesting question, Lee, and I personally have been thinking a lot about it because when when we started to look into projects and project execution and when we were devising uh, adaptive execution, we did not consider like any other business uh, did not consider these uh, grey rhinos in our in our mind we we never thought about this pandemic and i would actually go but rogue with respect to this because i look at this as to what we have learned from this pandemic and one thing which i i find out and probably you have experienced yourself is how the decision making has become very stressed, you know, some of the executives, probably for the first time in their lives are making a myriad of stressful decisions that materially impacted employee and customer health and safety. Now, if I compare this to project execution, health and safety has always been paramount uh, in, in that context. I also look at uh, mobility. I mean, you you would appreciate that the, the reason why this pandemic spread, this global pandemic of the 21st century spread was because of individual mobility. So moving forward, uh, we have to get into a situation where there is less mobility. And and that has an impact as to how the, the businesses are, are operating. We, we are in a world of uncertainty. We are in a world of continuous disruption and how that impacts uh, the the day to day operations and i think that is again leading to uh, the the concept of remote operations i was reading a um, an analysis uh, which was conducted by an organization in april and they came out with some numbers they said that you know 29% of the workforce uh, worked remote prior to covid 19 which increased to 76% during the pandemic and they also you know said that around 53% would continue or likely to work all or sometime after the pandemic and if everyone who wanted to work remotely was permitted the global increase in remote work after the pandemic would be around 79% so again the the idea here is that businesses probably need to understand and are probably are forced to press the big reset but button to restructure their expectations and their use of technology. Now the interesting thing is that this reset is not just a restart. I think businesses and other execution units are going to examine new paths. They are going to forge new trials they will be finding new solutions that might not have seemed feasible in the past, but are well suited uh, to the kind of outcomes uh, and in these uncertain times will demand. So in a world where, you know, social unrest and technology innovation has awakened us to the opportunity to make changes happen, uh, we must also consider changes in society, changes in health and sustainability moving forward. And I think technology must shift to a new base for non-traditional capabilities. In in essence, I would say that the two key lessons learned from this pandemic are building resilience and being more agile. And and that is what we have been focusing on with respect to projects and projects execution. So I think, I, I, I don't know if this is the kind of answer you were expecting, but I was more looking at the, the parallels uh, from from a kind of a uh, perspective uh, with respect to the challenges that the project and project large project execution face and the the challenges that have been thrown at us due to the pandemic
0: no it's it's a great it's a great answer and and it's it's great that you actually have some backup too on it when it comes to people working remotely and 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 of course, how digital technologies have have, have allowed people to work remotely. Uh, and that's kind of a segue into my next question. Uh, and over the past year, of course, we've seen an acceleration, in the adoption of new digital technologies. And of course, we've seen all of the all the different types of benefits that can come from digital technologies. So when we're talking about project execution. My question is: Is to what extent do digital technologies empower better management of such projects?
1: Yeah, again, a great question, uh, Lee. Um, so you know, even before the the current pandemic, uh, offshoring with labor arbitrage was already under pressure due to rising labor costs. So because everyone was doing it, you know, everyone was moving their execution, manufacturing to low cost countries. And then the idea was that, you know, cheaper, faster, better. And what we have been focused is, is actually, of course, we have been using the same same strategy as well. But I think we have been looking at the challenges which were posed by large capital projects and looking at the entire project value cycle, the project life cycle, and then trying to see what we can automate, what we can, uh, you know, uh, kind of look into, and and make sure that we turn around this labor arbitrage towards automation arbitrage. And which means that due to the pandemic and with large uptake of digital technologies, I, I strongly believe that everything that can or should be automated will be automated. You remember this hyperdrive uh, from Star Trek? I, I think a similar thing is going to happen with automation and it's it's kind of hyper automation, which means we are going to increase resilience, enable scale and cut cost. And to do that, I think there are quite a few drivers of that. Uh, standardization and interoperability come to my mind. Uh, Remote management and controls is another aspect. And then full or semi-autonomous operations. And we have the technologies available. We have Internet of Things, we have cloud, we have virtualization, and all these are actually going to drive this hyper-automation. And we from ABB are quite focused on utilizing these technologies into our execution methodologies and processes
0: and great because that's kind of one I want to talk a little bit about too is you mentioned of course this hyper automation so how is ABB innovating in this space to drive efficiencies in more successful large capital projects
1: as you know you know we are a very very old company we have a long heritage of innovation uh, going into hundreds of years and as we continue to grow and evolve i think we we continue to need to Innovate, and to give you a couple of examples, you know, the, the uh, using simulation and digital twins as as a as a tool for operator training is is quite widely used. But of late, we have been experimenting and also using uh, these these tools for the purpose of uh, in in the design phase of the project, which means that we can actually create process models and then connect those process models with our automation systems to create a kind of a platform which can be used for, uh, you know, uh, testing of various applications, uh, training the operators, and building different kind of scenarios which can be tested and, and run through even before the plant is put into operation. We can also bring in the electrical side of things into this simulation model. So we have developed some electrical simulation tools as well. So now you have a platform where you can actually see the impact of electrical disturbances on the process and the process disturbances on the electrical system. So this creates a very, very powerful design tool during the engineering phase of the project, which then leads to flawless startups, less issues at sites, and a lot of hours which are saved. Another example I would say is when we are executing projects these days, uh, there are a lot of stakeholders. There are a lot of people that we, we collaborate with. You have contractors, you have owners, we have our subsuppliers, And what happens is that we are exchanging a lot of data. And because this data is not really standardized, this information and documentation is not really standardized, we are transforming these information and data before we are consuming this. Recently, we have been working with the industry partners. We have also been working with standards organizations, and we are trying to introduce smartness into these data and documentation, which would then avoid the need of transformation uh, and and make things more automated, and which means reduce cost and reduce errors. So there is this is another example where we are uh, working with our customers to to introduce more smartness make documents more smart so that we are avoid the errors which are introduced during the project and make projects much, much cheaper.
0: Excellent. Now I want to go back to something you mentioned at the beginning, and that of course was uh, adaptive execution. So can you give me an example of the type of project adaptive execution is designed for?
1: Is this a trick question, Lee?
0: <laughs> because... <laughs>
1: Uh, you know, scalability, I, I think, is a key challenge with any uh, project execution approach. And based on my experience, I think I can come up with at least three different types of projects. Uh, you, you, you have repeat projects, which are, you know, stable, known, repeatable. We We do them every day. And then I would have a, a kind of a frontier or new venture projects, which are a bit complicated. I mean, they are stable and linear, but there are also unknowns in these kind of projects. Uh, we don't do them every day, uh, but but these are discoverable projects. You know, we can still um, you know inter, interoperate between the repeat projects and these projects, and we can you know move over practices and methods and and uh, tools that we have used on repeat projects to to these frontier and new venture projects the last category is is kind of a new world projects these are complex emergent non linear projects uh, unknown we have never done them before but on and off we get involved in such kind of projects and so the idea of having a common framework a common methodology that can address all these three different types of projects. It sounds quite elegant and exciting, but as you can imagine, this is not going to work in real life. So the idea with adaptive execution is actually to create a framework which is kind of loosely coupled but strongly cohesive and, and, and modular. Uh, it, it reminds me of uh, these these Lego blocks. You know, when I was growing up uh, as a kid in India, a friend of mine, he brought from Denmark a bunch of these uh, Lego blocks and that was the first time I saw them. And I was quite in, intrigued by them because using these blocks, you could create different shapes and different toys and different models. And it's exactly the same approach here. We have these these building blocks which are part of the adaptive execution framework. And we can actually tailor uh, the execution approach to a particular project type using these building blocks. And, and for example, I, I gave you this, this uh, example of uh, simulation. So if, if a particular customer is not interested in having the simulation tools early in the project, we can design an execution approach which is without such a simulation. So the key aspect then is to engage with our owners, contractors much earlier in the project lifecycle to set uh, the overall execution up for success.
0: Excellent. Yeah, you brought me you brought me back to my childhood. Good old Legos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it got me interested in construction as well. So I do want to go uh, back to a key word I think that you've mentioned throughout, and of course that's standardization. So, why is standardization so important?
1: Standardization, you know, what we want to do with with execution is to reduce complexity and and reduce costs. And standardization is is a great lever to do that. Uh, Standardization, you know, you get by standardization, efficiency gains. It improves yield and, and quantity, enhances manageability, increases agility. So there are a lot of benefits with the standardization that allows us to to cut cost and reduce the effort uh, with respect to the overall execution approach And the, the standardization is not only uh, related to technology and technical building blocks we are introducing standardization into our processes, into our tools, into how we are working, how we are collaborating So the, the whole you know the, the, the whole execution approach, is built around standardization. And and it also uh, allows interoperability. It it allows easier maintenance and upgrades. Uh, It allows us to synchronize our operations globally. Uh, You can make performance comparisons uh, between different centers and facilities or factories. So it has absolutely, absolutely lots of benefits with respect to global project execution.
0: Excellent. So I got one last question for you and I'm going to have you, I guess, put on your your forecasting hat or, or future hat. So my question is, and you mentioned it earlier when we talked about remote working in, in, in some of the, the numbers that you, you brought about there. My question is, do you believe that the, this accelerated adoption of re- remote enabled technologies and uh, virtualization is here to stay as the new normal going forward?
1: Absolutely, I think this is this is the the new normal is is going to stay. The the use of remote technologies is going to stay. Uh, the you know virtualization, using digital um, digital twins, all that is going to be part of the standard uh, project delivery and support. It's quite similar to what happened in two thousand and eight when uh, during the financial crisis, you know when the oil price went down, there was a lot of pressures on the cost and and so we we innovated and and we found new ways of uh, working uh, at, at those cost levels. But when later on when the when the oil price came back, the expectation remained that we should be able to to deliver at, at those lower cost levels. I think the, it's the same uh, case uh, now. We, we are living in a, in a cost-constrained world, and therefore, uh, all these technologies which are saving cost for the end user, they are going to stay, and, and the end user is going to demand uh, those those technologies.
0: Excellent. Well, let's you, I can't thank you enough for giving us a couple minutes here to talk about these crucial topics on digital technologies, capital project construction, things like that. So. Really want to thank you so much for your time today.
1: It was a pleasure talking to you, Lee.
0: Thank you very much. Wonderful. And of course, we really want to thank all of you for listening to the latest installment of Hydrocarbon Processing's podcast series, The Main Column.